Hi, I'm Chris Damaris. And I'm Aaron Marquis, and you're listening to Bite. Bite. Yum. Hey there, everybody. How is it going? That's right if you're listening to my voice. We are gathered again, we three witches around our cauldron, to talk about all the issues boiling therein. It is the Coven Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Daily Wilhelm, the Witch of the Wavelengths. Joining me today for the very first time is the lovely... Uh, Cora Wilson. Um, I'm big sci-fi nerd and been wanting to be on, be on the Coven for uh, several semesters and i'm super excited and super ready to go yes we welcome you in and also joining us for the very first time is our very special guest um i'm lily larson i'm a physics major here at ball state and i've also been a fan of star trek since literally made grade school so um, i got invited in and i thought it'd be a great chance to go ahead and talk about some geeky stuff so Yes, we're very glad to have you. If you couldn't guess already, dear audience, today we are talking about sci-fi, specifically women in sci-fi, because that's what we do here at The Coven. We take girl, we take geek, we see where those two things intersect. And I think in sci-fi lately especially, those two things have been intersecting in some interesting and very positive ways. So we have, uh, there's two new films that I'm really, really, really excited to see. Um, the first one we'll talk about is Arrival, which comes out this uh, November 11th. It's starring like Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and a whole lot of people. It's, it's going to be a really good movie. Essentially, uh, the plot that I can gather from the trailer is that these ships appear on Earth and uh, they bring in the world's foremost linguist, who is Amy Adams. And she has to figure out how to communicate with these unseen creatures inside of the ship and figure out what do you want? What are you doing here? What should we do? Um, what did you guys think about the trailer? I thought the trailer was very suspenseful. And also it gave enough of the plot to, um, you know, make you interested. But also I could gather from the plot that, you know, with every like, you know, alien movie it's like if you don't do this quick enough scientist person things are gonna go bad and so that's how science works apparently. really quick <laughs> snap snap oh, no absolutely. don't put yeah if you can't figure out how the aliens talk right away we're going to shoot them so naturally as the world goes what did you think about it lily well, I thought it was really refreshing to see a story that centered more around actually being able to communicate with aliens as opposed to them just coming down, oh, God, it's the end of the world. We're all going to die. These aliens are horrifying. And they're like, I don't know, slithering into people's ears and mind oh controlling them. Yeah. Like the animals. <laughs> or popping um, out of their chest. Or that. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. So it was interesting to see, like, what would happen if first contact was more of a mutual understanding as opposed to an invasion? Yeah, because it's interesting because I think it was uh, two or three weeks ago, supposedly we got a signal from outside of our solar system. Ooh. I think that ended up being a military frequency. Oh, dang it. Yeah. Okay. But it, it it's did. It's the aliens. It's the aliens. <laughs> uh, in the military. In the military. Conspiracy. Ooh. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it did spark a lot of conversation about, like, 
how do we handle that? Because we can hardly handle ourselves, let alone a whole nother species of intelligent life. We can hardly handle Russia. How are we supposed to handle <laughs> the aliens? Exactly. I'm just imagining them coming down and being like, what do you mean you discriminate against each other because of gender or the color of your skin? We got rid of that like centuries ago. Yeah. Millennia. It's actually. like, we, we need to leave this civilization alone for a little bit longer. Let it like simmer a little bit more and cook You're out the bad parts. Age. Maybe that's why we haven't seen them yet. Yeah, that's always been my theory. It's like, if we can't handle our own problems, why would we try to get into an entire other civilization's problems? I kind of imagine they've already, like, gotten teleportation, and meanwhile we look like cavemen with sticks and stones just yelling at each other. Yeah, isn't it that, (laughs) like, if someone very, very far away, like, on the edge of our solar system were to look at our planet then they would see the past, rather. So be like, this is a bunch of lizards there. We don't need to go there yet. Hey, look, they're forming into people. Yeah, slowly but surely. I think that was actually a Star Trek episode where there was, um, I believe it was in the original series, and there was this sort of like god being called Trelane, and he was observing Earth from his planet way far away. And he thought that humans were still sailing the ship, sailing the seas on their big pirate ships and he was completely confused when he, they showed up on his doorstep in a spaceship in spaceships rather <laughs> yeah no that's really interesting um so how would we deal with aliens it's a really big question but um how we would deal with first of all when we would be seeking out aliens in space travel going to other planets is dealt with a little bit in um this other movie that is coming out starring jennifer lawrence and uh chris pratt uh, passengers, which I keep getting the five second like Facebook yeah. video and it doesn't really explain a lot except for at some point Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt will kiss. Well, like, she, she'll throw herself across a table and just face attack him. Yeah. I mean, so the actual trailer, it seems that uh, they're uh, on this really interestingly shaped uh, ship. It looks like it's blown from glass. It's very artsy. Um, and they're sailing through the universe, and uh, they're supposed to be in, like, cryo-sleep until uh, 90 years later when they can wake up and colonize new planet. But Actually, I think it's it was, like, 180 years, and they oh. woke up 90 years early because okay. they weren't supposed to be woken up for, like, 90 more years. And so... Um, they wake up and they realize they can't go back to sleep. They've only made it halfway through the journey. It, yeah. Man, that would be like the worst. That's worse than waking up late for class, like waking up uh, early for your entire lifetime afterward. Mm-hmm. Like, dang. But they wake up early and there's kind of a mystery as to why did we wake up early? Is And then there's something apparently going to happen that's fairly catastrophic. But in the meantime, they hang out at the bar with uh, Simon Pegg, robot, (laughs) which was a whole different deal, um, and kiss each other. Which brings up the question, if everyone's supposed to be asleep, why is there a bartender? And why is there a bartender? Also, why were they the only two people that awoke? Or were awakened? (laughs) (laughs) Twilight Zone. Find out answers in Passengers coming out, I don't know when. Um, I think it was December. Yeah, I think Christmas, actually. It's a Christmas. So uh, Christmas, if you don't do the Christmas Christmas thing. Christmas in space. Christmas in space. Yeah, which we are right now, the coven in space. But (laughs) uh, this one I didn't have as many good feelings about as I had with Arrival. 
Um, I think it was kind of because it really looked like it was trying to catch audiences with Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt making out, which oh, like yeah. he's older than her by a decade, maybe. Well, that's how they usually do it in Hollywood. Most uh, women are, you know, 20, 24, and most men are, you know, George Clooney's age in their 50s. Yeah. I mean, Chris Pratt isn't that old, but yeah. he's definitely older and than her. I trust him to be a good guy. It's it's more Hollywood <laughs> that is going to cast him in this role of making out with Jennifer Lawrence. So I noticed that in the trailer... Um, he seemed to be the one in like the STEM field or like the sciencey role, and she was just pretty. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, there wasn't a lot of seeing them doing anything aside from being like, "Oh man, we're awake. We can't go back to sleep." Oh no, Simon Pegg is here. <laughs> Something is happening. Get our guns. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's that American alien film in which mm-hmm. uh, we have to deal with aliens via violent matters. But uh, segue uh, into uh, older uh, sci-fi series, the Alien series. We we had to deal with aliens in violent oh, yes. matters in that series. Um, when a face thing hugs you, yeah, you gotta yeah. deal with it. Violently. You gotta deal with that. <laughs> I I used to get um, loot crate, and they had like little plushy face huggers. Oh my goodness! I was like, this is really cute, but. The source material, I can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> you're just, just going to wake up one evening and it's just going to scurry up your face and just suddenly... With its little cute smiley face that it had <laughs> sewn in. Yeah. That's oh my goodness. terrifying, honestly. But so I've been a fan of the Alien series probably. I, I definitely didn't catch it when it first came out, but um, I think it was about three, four years ago. I uh, binged it, uh, the first three anyway. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just struck by Eleanor Ripley. Wait, is it Ellen Ripley? Eleanor Ripley? I think it's I think it's Ellen Ripley. Ellen. Okay. Ellen Eleanor. I'm just proving how much I obviously Ellie. know about <laughs> the Alien series. I've I've outed myself a little bit here. No, but honestly, uh Ellen Ripley is on like lists forever as like top movie characters. Um she just made like such an impact on uh, not only sci-fi series, but uh, like action movie series in general in kind of proving that, hey, women can be stuff. protagonists. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Women can actually written, be written as people as opposed to love objects. Yes. How, however, I've noticed that with a lot of sci-fi films, especially for some reason in alien um the scene at the very end when you when you know you think that she's defeated the alien and she's just bending over this circuit board for i don't know how many minutes in her granny panties like why do you why do you have to be leaning over board for several minutes in in granny panties ellen ellen ripley (laughs) yeah i definitely feel like wasn't there um not the newest star trek film but the one before into darkness wasn't there a scene with um I can't remember her name. Uhura. The no, the blonde blue shirt. Oh, yeah. And she was at some point she was shirtless. Mm-hmm. She like had a black bra on and it was like where did this come from? I She's the science officer. Spock or Kirk walked in on her and she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And then you're just like, 
Okay. Oh, go. <laughs> movie, movie, keep going, please. Movie, keep going. Interesting sci-fi plot, please. Yes. I think they just wanted to play up the whole Kirk is a womanizer type thing because she did ask him to turn around because she was changing, and then he didn't quite. Come on, Kirk. No, oh, Kirk. Come on. Tiberius. Ty- <laughs> James Tiberius. <laughs> you turn around right now. <laughs> uh, but definitely that's just... Uh, throughout Hollywood thing and I think especially in movies where they give women so much agency but then suddenly there's a shirtless scene it just it just doesn't jive or suddenly sex is there when like you don't understand how it happened like oh no the planet's dying and then all of a sudden they're on the ground and yeah well that's just how it goes I guess that's that's how that's the first thing on everyone's Mm -hmm. mind when they're like imminent death is coming obviously when I have grief (laughs) and sadness and it oh Go for it. <laughs> Just uh, realizing my mortality. Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> but so Ripley, um, just reading off the wiki page, this really amazing quote from um, John Scalzi, who is the president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America as of 2011. I don't know if he's still the president, but it's a significant title. It is. Um, he said of Ripley, she's not a sidekick, arm candy, or a damsel to be rescued. <laughs> Starting with Alien, Ripley was a fully competent member of a crew or ensemble, not always liked and sometimes disrespected, but doing her job all the same. As each film progresses, she comes to the fore and faces head-on. She's the hero of the piece, in other words. Ripley isn't a fantasy version of a woman. Science fiction film is filled with hot, kick-ass women doing impossible things with guns and melee weapons while they spin about like a gymnast in a dryer. As fun as that is to watch, at the end of the day, it's still giving women short, uh, short shirfed since what they are then... What they are then are idealized killer fembots rather than actual human beings. Ripley, on the other hand, is pushy, aggressive, rude, injured, suffering from post-traumatic syndrome, not wearing makeup, tired, smart, maternal, angry, empathetic, and determined to save others, even at great cost to herself, all without being a spinny killbot. She also saved the cat, so... Okay, yes, the cat. (laughs) So many points for saving the cat. Like... She didn't have to save that cat. Yeah. It wasn't her cat. Man, any movie that there's, like, a slight danger in and then there's a cat, I'm, like, worried. I'm so anxious the rest of the time. Or a puppy. I feel like it's just really cheap when movies are like, oh, the the dog got caught in the crossfire. Here's a tear-jerking moment. It's like, no, no. Don't do that to me, because now I'm just going to think about the dog. But I do love that about Ripley, how when you look at those movies, she's not wearing makeup. She's not in a midriff shirt with tight pants, and she's not always gun-wielding. She's being smart and avoiding this, you know, the alien, and being smart about what she's doing and how quiet she is. And she doesn't, you know, go guns ablaze and do a big sacrifice, but at the same time, she she sort of does like she takes those risks because she realizes those risks but she's not the the sexy heroine she's the heroine she's yeah. a real person she's a person period dot i i really do like you said love when movies are like this is probably not a situation in which a woman will be wearing makeup and like actually portray an actor without makeup 
versus like, oh, she's not wearing makeup. It's natural. And it's like, I see your mascara and <laughs> your, your blush eyeliner. and the foundation. So you can't fool me. And like when they have a woman who's in the Stone Age and her pits are somehow perfectly shaved. Yes. Naturally, as they would be, because women don't have body hair. Nope. That's a well-known fact. Body hair? No. What's hair? Yeah. Do it's we... just on your head and eyebrows, right? Yeah, I think so. and, and your eyes, I guess. Yeah, eyelashes. Yeah. <laughs> Those aren't fake either, ever. No, not ever. <laughs> they aren't glued on. Everyone has, like, two-inch lashes. Oh, that, always. Like, you can feel the breeze when you blink. <laughs> <laughs> That's natural. Absolutely natural. But um, so in comparison, I mean, I, I do love uh, the Star Trek remakes. Um, the I haven't been able to see um, the latest one. What was it called again? Uh, Star Trek Beyond, I believe. Beyond. Ooh, it was so the single excited. word. Mm-hmm. It's It's got some impact with that. It but good. I felt like the women in Star Trek are comparably a little more dolled up, but that's also kind of reflecting the situation. They're on the ship versus constantly in immediate danger um, until later on in the plot, typically. And if you watch the series, um, it, they actually don't put a huge amount of emphasis on makeup, which is really nice. Um, like, I know Captain Janeway, she's got, um, she's in Star- the captain of Star Trek Voyager. She doesn't have the, you know, enormous winged eyeliner like we see in the heroines of our movies today. She's a person and she's doing her job and the focus is not on her looks, which I really appreciate as both a viewer and as a woman in STEM. Definitely. I mean, that's the main thing is when can you draw the can it's the sexy lamp test. It's like, mm-hmm. can this character be replaced with a sexy lamp? And unfortunately, some series are uh, guilty of being like, she didn't need to be there. We could have a sexy lamp there, which I don't know the definition of a sexy lamp. The sexy leg lamp from A Christmas Carol. Oh, oh, okay. Because I was like, how is a lamp sexy? Who is going around being like, mm, let's just let's a just lovely say it's lamp. The, it's the sexy leg lamp from Christmas yeah. Carol. Yeah. So just the leg there. It doesn't <laughs> need to utter the lines that it does. It doesn't need to have any agency. It's just nope. sexy lamp. And also the, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Bechdel test? Bechdel test, Ooh, yes. Yeah, I think the Bechdel test goes like, is there more than one woman? Does the woman talk to another woman not about a male like protagonist or antagonist? And I think there's one, I can't remember the last It's like question. they have to be two named women, women mm-hmm. talking about something other than... The male protagonist yeah. or something, or antagonist, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's not that hard. It's really not that hard to have a movie that passes it, but so many fail it. And I've heard a lot of people scrutinize it because it's, like, so simple. But then you look at them and be like, why are you scrutinizing the test? Why aren't you scrutinizing the movies? I mean, they're failing it, and it's the simplest test in the entire world for movies. It's just like, give give the character a name, okay? Give, Give another girl character a name, okay? Now, they talk about something. No, don't don't talk about the main character. Don't talk about the guy. Talk about something else. Mm-hmm. That's like a five minute. That's not even five minutes. That can be like uh, 20 seconds in a script. Like Alien passed the Bechdel test. So I mean, oh, yeah. if Alien can pass it. <laughs> yeah. I heard um, a lot of people complaining about um, Maleficent when it came out, that it doesn't pass the reverse Bechdel test. So there's never, there's not two named Male characters 
that ever oh, talk about no. anything other than the main female protagonist. What are we not ever going to do Whoa. without named Give me men? more movies like that. Right? <laughs> That's how I feel. Absolutely. And, of course, the new female Ghostbusters. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to see it, but it, I bet that it's up there with... A, it passes the Bechdel test. B, it probably doesn't pass the reverse Bechdel test because there was only like, uh, what's his name? Um, Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. And it was Chris Hemsworth, I do believe. Yeah, he was he was really the only named male protagonist in that. And they didn't make him dumb or stupid as far as I understand. Uh, yes, they did. Oh, they did? Yes. He is the portrayal of dumb blonde. Yeah. He is the most dumb blonde. Yeah. So they basically made him the... Eye candy. Um, the they eye made candy, the dumb like eye they made, candy. like they made uh, the secretary in the first one. Correct. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm really overjoyed by someone being eye candy that's not a woman for once. It's funny though because I've seen nothing but bad reviews on the Ghostbusters. I've seen good ones, but most of the bad ones are actually about chris hemsworth being written like that in the movie because it's men seeing that trope portrayed onto themselves for the first time and being like hey this is unfair when they don't realize is women have had this happening to them for basically almost as long as movies have been being made exactly so it's sort of like a reverse it's a flip of position and they don't like it yeah, and it's like, if you can be outraged right now, why can't you be outraged at every other movie that does the same except it does it to a woman? It's like, do you not feel sympathy for the opposite sex whatsoever? Exactly. Or question mark? And it also just sucks because, you know, they still do that in sci-fi movies like Alien. Like, you know, they could, still having the strong heroine. And yet, you know, we have the scenes where, you know, they're half naked. You always have at least one scene in a sci-fi movie yeah. with a half naked woman for some odd reason. Like, I, I, I don't want to be like, that's just Hollywood. We're always going to be objectified. I think that movies can work to be better about that. I think they have been in recent years. I can't imagine there being a scene in Arrival yeah. of uh, Amy Adams, like, changing for some reason. And the, if if there is a scene where she is half naked, like, there, there better be some good weird good reason explanation as like, to why she's suddenly getting naked or has to get like hazmat like disinfected or something yeah. like okay sure but also have jeremy renner do it yeah who's in the same situation as her although she is definitely the person in charge oh yes in this film which is going to be really exciting um just getting uh into uh, role models for girls who are interested in sciencey things. We're we're getting more and more of those. We're not just having Ellen Ripley, who is awesome, mm-hmm. but might not be everyone's cup of tea. So now we have Amy Adams' character. We have we'll 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 let passengers slide and like see what happens with Jennifer Lawrence's character. But that could be another thing. Um, I hope then, she's sciencey. Yeah. I mean, you kind of you have to have some level of sciency to get on a ship that pretty. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's put that as the have bottom some line. Some sort of understanding of ships and what they do. And yeah, unless that... she's a botanist. Oh, oh, they might have made Mark her a botanist. Watney. Yep. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> the Martian technically colonized Mars. Technically, mm-hmm. technically, everything was sound mm-hmm. scientifically, which oh, is yes. amazing. I love that. Part That's... of why I love that movie. 
Yeah. And it was just, did you guys know that it was just a self-published thing? Really? really? Yeah. He he never made a deal with anyone. He was just like, I, I wrote this and I don't really want to put it on my site, so I'll do it on Kindle. And it blew up. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> whoops. That's fantastic. That's inspirational. Yeah, that is isn't very it? inspirational. To think that something like just you put out there will blow up. And as, you know, a male scientist, I mean, it, it was amazing to actually, because I watched the film. I haven't read the book yet. Mm-hmm. But to see the film and see that it actually all of it is pretty scientifically sound and possible is amazing. And, you know, I, I loved the fact the way that it was written and, and everything, but then you then you kind of want to scrutinize it and be like, well, why didn't why didn't he get half naked and you know on yeah. Mars? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't he suddenly you know shower naked? How come we didn't get you know more shirtless Matt Damon? Yeah, we all need that in our lives. Matt Damon, but I mean, <laughs> where he's not? not sewing up a bullet wound. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, little little wound, less but... gore, a little more enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. I mean, uh, that's another thing. The Martian did have, I think, on uh, their Mars mission, there were uh, two female astronauts, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yes. And I think it was female-led, actually, yeah. the captain. The, yeah, she was in charge. She was the captain. Um, I forget the actress, but I remember her being like, it's it's your call, boss, and her having to make those difficult decisions, which is like a whole other level of seeing, A, women in STEM, be women in leadership positions within STEM, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So A plus to The Martian for that, even though we didn't get Charlotte's Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> but going with uh, role models for girls, seeing women in STEM and women in leadership positions inside of STEM, we have the original STEM role model in Uhura on Star Trek. She was... So it's so crazy to think about because... So, um, oh gosh, what's her actress's name? Um, anyway, Uhura. <laughs> she was one, if not the very first uh, actress portraying a role as an African-American in a uh, character that wasn't in a menial role, that wasn't the maid, that wasn't the secretary or whatever. And uh, people were like freaked out about it. Because remember, this was the 60s. This was early times in the civil rights movement. And uh, at one point, she just couldn't take it about like all the hate mail and people being like, no, get off of TV. You don't belong there. (laughs) To the point that Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., called her and was like, "You, you need to stay on. You're inspiring millions of people like little girls across the country are like, I can grow up and be like Uhura and not a maid or et cetera. And, and that's just so mind blowing to me to see something that I have uh, enjoyed outside of like trying to watch it for historical content, like just as pure entertainment content and been like, wow, this was the time period this came out in. Um, across the board, Roddenberry was really great at diversity, I think. Also, um, the actress that played her was N- Nichelle Nick- Nichols. Nichelle N- Nichols. Nichelle or Nichelle mm-hmm. Nichols. Okay, thank um, you. And uh, fun fact, her n- the name of her character, Ahura, actually means freedom. It's a Swahili word. Oh, my gosh. That's so perfect. Go Roddenberry. Go Roddenberry. Go Roddenberry. 
And also, um, not to take away from uh, Uhura, but also with Chekhov during the Cold War. Oh, yeah. yes. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. He was pushing all the buttons. Mm-hmm. Go Roddenberry. <laughs> he was no, like, no, here's an African-American, I, and, and here's a here's a Czechoslovakian. Let's and then uh, George Takei, mm-hmm. Sulu. Uh, Asian. Asian in there after everything that's happened how we've Japan. treated Japanese people in the meantime. Um, yeah, Roddenberry needs a lot more credit, I think, as a creator for creating um, a niche, like sci-fi at the time was niche, and just instantly making that a diverse thing. And Insane. having it take off. Yeah, it. I mean, it's a huge worldwide phenomenon. I mean, people know what you're talking about when you say the final frontier and everything. Or, you know, even if you say Trekkie, there's like, you know, there are Trekkies nowadays, you know, because of the new movies. And um, not to discredit Zoe Saldana, um, the newest Uhura, but I feel like her character, her portraying Uhura, and I don't think it's her fault. I think it was partly Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon did the first Star Trek, yeah? Was it Whedon or was it? J.J. Abrams. It was J.J. Or was it J.J. Abrams? Mm-hmm. Never mind. Not to discredit you know, Joss Whedon because I love him. But J.J. Uh, mm-hmm. Abrams, I feel like they wrote this new Uhura a little bit more shallow than uh, Roddenberry's Uhura. When you look at the old Uhura, she's more strong and almost more capable with. And like uh, this new Uhura, Uhura is very capable and very, very smart and, you know, doesn't take, you know, anything from anyone. But I almost feel like there are certain moments where you think, um... You know, why did you do that? Like uh, the moment, and I think um, into darkness when they're going to uh, oh, forgive me, the uh, Klingons, the Klingon people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just said Klingon people. Yeah, um, <laughs> the Klingons, the Klingon Klingons. people. Um, they are and a people. <laughs> her and Spock had been fighting, and she chooses the time when they're going on a mission to speak about it. When you really think about it, that wouldn't—that's not a her as character to bring up something yeah. like that on a mission, and it—it it sort of boggles your mind because she has so many strong moments. And yeah. that's something that I know a lot of people who are fans of the old Star Trek series and of the TV show have a big um, amount of criticism for the new movies because they have been uh, sort of transformed from, they still, of course, are science fiction, but they are much more action-based. Yeah, um, They follow the format of an action movie as opposed to science fiction, let's go discover, let's go explore, which is truly the heart of uh, Star Trek itself, and right. which um, hopefully in the the new series that's coming out, I believe it is Star Trek Discovery. Um, mm-hmm. They'll be going back to those roots. Oh, there's a series? Yes. They're going to make a TV series? Yep. It will be coming out on CBS online, I believe. And also it will be, if I'm remembering cl- correctly, uh, sometime in January of next year it will begin streaming. Oh, wow. Is it going to be the, uh, the actors from the movie? No. I From oh. what I remember, it will be set approximately... 10 to 20 years before the events of the original series and it will take place in the original universe so not the universe of the movies but rather the universe of the original series next generation voyager all of those because you know this timeline is you know sort of a different timeline which was what gave them more creative freedom correct so this this gives them more roots to go off of than trying to invent something to get people back into the uh, franchise itself because I'll be honest I uh, I watched um, like 
the Wrath of Khan and that kind of thing around Christmas with like my mom, who's a big fan. But um, I never really got into the story itself or into the original series or Next Generation um, until the movies came out. And then I was like, I actually want to dig into more material than what this hour and a half could give me. So started watching um, the show and uh, the older films a little bit more intensively than just sitting in like a Thanksgiving coma watching The Wrath of Khan. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about people approaching... Um, the older material with what they have in mind from the new material? Um, I just tell them to keep in mind that it's definitely two very different mediums. Uh, the new Star Trek definitely is more action-based. Um, you watch it, it's sort of like you're watching an action movie as opposed to a real Star Trek movie. The flavor is completely different. Mm -hmm. If you're into the characters, go for it. You get tons more of character development. You get more of a sense of who they are as people and how they interact with each other, which actually the third movie, Star Trek Beyond, did a very good job of bringing more of the character aspect into the movies. So I think that that did a really good job with that. And um, also, it really does depend on which series you're watching, because mm -hmm. uh, some of them are more actiony than others. As you get closer to the more modern era, you do get more um, advanced uh, firefights and you know space battles and that yeah. sort of thing. And um, I'm not sure what Discovery will bring, but I do know that it will be following a female character who is, I believe, LGBTQ. <gasps> so they will be pushing boundaries in that way as <sighs> well. And I am very excited. I would be I, I would be excited too because we don't have enough uh, queer women represented. I think um, there was a study or uh, some sort of thing written where basically every queer character has been killed. Every queer yeah. female character has been killed. Yes, I believe that is correct. I I I feel awful because I can't off the top of my head remember exactly where it was. But I mean, I don't have a hard time believing it. Honestly. It's really not that hard. Or like most queer women are put in there as bisexual. Just, yeah, so, just that so that it's they like can. the appeal of like, oh, we might see her make out with a woman at some point. But you know, she's gonna end up with a guy in the end. Yeah, yeah and the, that's how it goes. And even the fact that when they are represented, um, more often than not, it's for eye candy for men, not mm -hmm. to bring in uh, women or people of other genders who might be uh, wanting to see their own selves represented in that way. Right. Yeah. And I feel like especially sci-fi shows and films should do more to go uh, with diversity and beyond because with sci-fi, you're more examining the human race as the whole of the human race versus all the little nitpicky things. Like we're all just trying to get along in space versus getting along as we have failed to for however long we've been on Earth. Um, and like space doesn't have gender roles, I'm just going to venture to say. Like, um, can we not? Speaking of like diversity and everything, it reminds me of this uh, 90s sci-fi show, which sort of ran at the same time as Star Trek, but had a little bit more of a different idea to it. It was called Stargate SG-1. Yes. And um, it starred Amanda Tapping and... Um, Oh, Richard Dean Anderson and, uh, oh, I forget the actor's names for it, but uh, there was an actor that portrayed uh, Dr. Daniel Jackson and then um, Teal'c, who was a 
African, he was portrayed by an African American man who played this alien that they had met out. And basically, the premise of the show is that they find this stargate, this portal that sends them out to different planets in the world. And um, all these planets had different people, different cultures, different languages. And they even actually met the stereotypical. Um, small gray aliens oh and um, one of them was named Thor <laughs> okay <laughs> um, but they were called the Asgard um, these oh. little gray aliens and um, there were female and male and uh, they met they just met so many different people and there were there were so many women and so many um, people of color and of different uh, like backgrounds on this show because it eventually went in, on to like Stargate Atlantis and then Stargate Universe but we don't talk about Stargate Universe oh, um, oh okay <laughs> Stargate Universe doesn't exist um, but and there was just so much diversity and like uh, I remember watching it when I was little with my mom every now and again and just thinking oh my god Amanda Tapping or you know Major Samantha Carter she's going out and kicking butt and just being she's got awesome. got that title, Major. Yeah, yeah, well, she started off as a captain, but, like, that's the thing is that she she rose up in the ranks yes. and got so many leadership positions because she was actually a woman um, in uh, this, in a STEM field and happened to be in the Air Force because it's the Air Force that's doing this. and Space stuff, yeah. Space stuff. Space and stuff. she's, like, you know, big into astrophysics and uh, deep space telemetry and all that a really convoluted science stuff that I'm not good at. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just really amazing. Like, I feel like women were actually, in some cases in sci-fi, more represented in STEM fields and more respected. That's really exciting. I, I think that that's what people um, in Hollywood and, you know, even, like, small-time producing, like, maybe novels, sci-fi novels or whatever, like, they they should really look toward being a lot more diverse because I think this is the field, uh, at least sci-fi, that we can look to and we're going to suspend our disbelief to believe in, like, contact with aliens and uh, interstellar space travel versus being like, wait, no, a woman can't drive the spaceship. And it's like, there's a spaceship, period, dot. But you can believe that, question mark? Like, yeah, I. so I definitely am hoping that in the future and continuing on that uh, sci-fi as a whole, as an art, will be a lot more diverse as it has been in the past. So claps for, coven claps for sci-fi. Yay, sci-fi. Proud of you. But uh, getting into... The real world, where it's much less diverse, unfortunately. Ugh. So real world, real world. So women in STEM, uh, women in STEM. So a lot of memes have been spawned about women being in STEM and women complaining that there's not enough women being in STEM. I think the one that I sent in the email about this podcast, it was like. Uh, a little uh, booths and it was like STEM majors and it's like women and gender studies majors and they were sitting next to each other and all the women went over to the uh, women and gender studies uh, booth and signed up supposedly for the major and then in the uh, next panel they were standing with uh, signs that said more women in STEM and it's like STEM is sexist and the guy in the STEM booth just like shrugging so, what do we feel about that? It made me angry. Yeah. I can't quite articulate probably in a 
good way why it made me angry, but it was sort of like, it seemed like that was drawn by a man, first of all. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, who does not understand the different kinds of challenges women coming into STEM face. Um, and uh, I wish I could be more articulate about it. It just was no, a it's, level it's, of yeah. ignorance that um, just sort of blew my mind. Like, did you think to ask women oh, in STEM? Yeah. Like, why um, maybe there aren't as many women in STEM? Did you think to ask us about this kind of thing? Yeah, because that's like the, the other thing that always goes around is like a Facebook post. And it's like uh, someone posted something along the lines of, uh, because of misogyny, we don't see a lot of women in STEM. And then uh, the reply was, it's like, so are you a woman in STEM? And it, the reply then was no. And it's like, what's your major then? It's like women and gender studies. And it's like, why did you take that degree instead of going into a STEM field? It's like, and what that, do you want? <laughs> that also, you know, doesn't you know, take in consider consideration the fact that you know maybe she isn't good at science i mean i'm all for women in stem but i suck at science same i Absolutely am awful same. at math i don't know how i even passed astronomy which is basic physics i i don't i, I couldn't do that so i'd rather be in a field where i can empower women to be in stem fields like lily here and you know be like yes you go go be in stem fields yes lily yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so it it's just it's just something that and also with the meme like it 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 didn't show the man going up to them and being like oh well you, you want to be in stem more women in stem fields do you know anybody do you want to be in stem fields yeah it's just him being like oh well i guess i'm out of luck like did you even make an effort yeah kind of the thing with like uh women being like we can we can do stem fields it's like when kids are young Everyone equally likes science and math. Oh, I love and then, science. Yeah. And then as time goes on, there's this gap that happens in which more boys are like, yes, I like science. And more girls are like, no, I'm not into science. And there was a really good um, advert that uh, expressed this. And it was like. Oh, kinda, I think I saw that. Yeah, I think I know the, like what the one you're talking the about. The home video of like the little girl. Ooh, and yeah. she was like mm. throughout the ages, she was like messing with starfish and her mom was like don't mess up your dress and like someone uh she was like making a mobile of the uh solar system and it's like this project has gotten really out of hand and then like she's building a rocket with her brother and it's like you should let him do that and then like uh as she grows older she's looking at these like you know glasses with like the glass panes with like the science fair and then she you know gets older and she's looking at this paper with the science fair and in the glass and you're like oh yeah you're gonna go to the science fair and she puts on lipstick it was it was a really good advert. I suggest everyone watch it after this podcast. Um, but so I think as time goes on throughout uh, public education, at least I can't speak for private. I've never had a private education. <laughs> um, girls are told boys are better at math and science. Girls are good at English and social studies. And when you get that in your head, how are you meant to succeed then on if you're inherently knowing that I'm going to be bad at this? Also, yeah. um, when reading a, a book, uh, I'm reading a book um, 
for my gender studies course, and it's called Learning the Hard Way. And it actually uh, talks and studies the idea that um, girls actually do far better than boys a lot of the time in, you know, classes and including math and science. And yet they're still of the belief that they need to work harder, that they aren't doing as well as the boys when the boys aren't even putting in half the work they are. That's that's another thing. Um, I think the quote was, I have this article from the Harvard Business Review talking about uh, women in STEM fields and women inherently feel like they have to work twice as hard to get the same amount as re- of recognition from a man doing the same work. Um, I, I don't want to get like super personal, Lily, but do you, do you feel like this is kind of the prevailing truth in STEM fields? Um, personally, I have not had too many experiences uh, with that in particular, but I did go to this conference in Ohio last year. Um, it was uh, American Women in Physics, I believe. Ooh, yay. And so it was this big conference all full of uh, women uh, who are in physics fields and all these undergraduate women who are coming up in physics. And it was basically um, just this big gathering where um, sort of like uh, mentors could talk to us about their experiences being women in physics. And there were just so many stories of not getting recognition, not getting um, paid as same as men, um, even getting degraded or looked down upon just for being a woman in that field, sort of like, this isn't the place for you sort of feeling. Um, and I definitely say that has an impact on... Um, even just women looking to go in science, just hearing about these stories, uh, even though I have not experienced anything close to that level of sexism yeah. or discrimination, it still is in the back of my mind, like, this could potentially happen. And it, it does scare me and it does yeah. frustrate me because, you know, how dare you judge me for how capable I am of something just because of what gender I am. Yeah, you've worked hard to get where you're at. Mm-hmm. And Uh, just as much, if not more, again, to prove yourself as a man would. And I think it's awful that you that, you know, you're just like, you know, I haven't experienced this yet, but I probably will. And you have to, like, prepare yourself for that. Like, no, no man in college has to sit there and be like, I've never experienced sexism. I have to prepare myself for that when I go out there. Instead, he's just going to be like, I'm going to go out there and be the best physicist or scientist guy that I can be. And to think that, you, you know, becoming a physicist have to sit and, you know, prepare for this is just daunting. Yeah. And it definitely does put, um, even if no one tells me outright that you need to do better in order to be recognized, I sort of put that on myself a lot Mm -hmm. of the time because um, there are very few women in our physics program. Uh, There have been several classes where I've been the only girl in the room. Um, Very rarely is there a woman at the head of the classroom, although we are fortunate to have a professor here or possibly more than one professor who is uh, a woman in physics who Yay, does Ball teach. Um, Dr. Diversity um, is what I'm thinking of. But, um, you know, just that idea that um, just looking around and seeing that there aren't women here really and sort of feeling out of place, Yeah, it sort of makes you... Uh, question whether or not you are welcome even if you've never experienced anyone telling that to your face or really acting that way um 
when you don't see people like yourself and then it's like well if people like me aren't here then why am I here at all it's almost also a subtle thing nowadays I've noticed Mm -hmm. as you get older like when you're younger it's more direct like oh you know don't do that and then as you're older and they say that you know well you're a junior senior in in science it's sort of like are you sure that you can do this like Mm -hmm. it's much more passive they almost like try to plant that doubt in you as a woman in STEM like Mm -hmm. are you sure you want to be doing this are you sure that you can you can do this on your own yeah, and that's why it breaks my heart. Like, um, I work at the planetarium on campus, Ooh. and it just fills me with joy to see all of these children coming in, just as many girls as there are boys, yeah. excited about science, telling me about the planets, um, you know, laughing and just being just so full of enthusiasm and wonder. It's just incredible to see that. And then just to know that there are girls who the majority of them will lose their love for science through one means or another. And you know, that's part of why I work at the planetarium is to try to, you know, keep that sense of wonder with them so that way they can have something to think about when, you know, maybe they're getting discouraged or they're um, frustrated and then they can think, no, wait, there is a place for me. Yeah. And just seeing you working there even Mm -hmm. would help, like having those uh, people representing women in working in science and math and everything and like being able to see yourself somewhere. That's why all these role models that we've been talking about are so important. But uh, just uh, one last thing I kind of wanted to touch on because you brought it up and it was really interesting. So since there are so few women in uh, often science-based programs, um, the article that I uh, mentioned, it was talking about how sometimes it unfortunately happens that the women within Um, a STEM field that doesn't have a lot of women, they feel like they can't support each other because they're competing for that token woman role. Do you you ever feel that way or like that you have to prove yourself as the the girl that's in physics? Um, Well, to be honest, I haven't felt that very much because there have been so few girls in my classes. Um, I believe there's one other girl in my uh, year in physics, who I believe is dropping the physics major and going completely into chemistry. Um, I I believe I might know her. Um, I was going to mention her, um, Maggie Smith. Correct, yes. Yes. Oh, hey, name dropping. Shout out to Maggie. Shout out to Maggie. (laughs) Maggie. She's amazing. I, I think she I don't I don't know if she felt pushed out, but I, I, I don't know. She might not have had time for it. But that is sad that, you know, the only other girl uh, is being, you know, is dropping it. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually sad to hear. Yeah. And there are uh, other girls, too, who are uh, graduate students uh, who I do see in quite a few of my higher level classes where they sort of squish the undergrads and the grads together. So we've got mm-hmm. um a bunch of undergrad and grad guys, and then there's me, who's usually the only undergrad girl, and then there might be one or two um, under, uh, graduate women uh, also, and that does help as well because there, it, it does sort of foster sort of like a, a similar to a peer relationship, but also sort of a mentoring relationship mm-hmm. because they've been through what I've been through before, and I can sort of look up to them and be like, hey, you made it, maybe I can too. Yeah. Definitely. And that's why I think just to begin with being able to see uh, women in STEM, like even before you are able to make it to uh, STEM education or STEM career, being able to see on the screen 
um, in the media that people consume for fun, seeing Ripley or seeing Uhura or seeing Major... Samantha Carter. Major Samantha Carter. Or Captain Janeway. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, I, I just love that we can list... That there's and, more than one. And, you know, Ray from Star Wars as yes, well. Yes, um, absolutely. I've seen so, so many little girls just being like, I want to be Ray for, for not Christmas, geez. <laughs> you can be, you can dress up for Christmas. <laughs> I fully support that. For Halloween. Yeah. My, my goodness. Yeah. Um, and just like, see, and also uh, the protagonist for Rogue One is going to be female and, you know, seeing the Ghostbusters as role models, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> just the fact that, kids are going to have more costume options are mm-hmm. is really exciting i mean princesses are cool but and dresses get in the way sometimes yeah that's not everyone's cup of tea if it nope. is that's cool but you could be a ghostbuster or ray or yeah so uh i like to wrap up with good things and on a positive note, so good things, more costumes, good things, uh, more programs are being made to specifically get girls, especially young girls, into STEM-related fields. Like, I know specifically there's Girls Who Code. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that programs like that are uh, getting to the point where you can see the results in colleges right now in our computer science program here at Ball State. Uh, it's the highest level of uh, women being in the program that we've ever had. And that's at 25% about, which is still, eh, but it's something. Also, <laughs> I Ball believe um, there's a graduate student at uh, Detroit. I believe her name is Jane, uh, yeah, Jade Metzger. And I think she was running a program at one point or another introducing girls to code and women to code um, in the Detroit area. Yeah, computer science is definitely a field that's hugely skewed toward just male involvement versus female. And if she wasn't running it, I know she was at least involved in it. She's doing something. She is. As we all need to do. She is a strong lady. And it's kind of ridiculous that almost um, the gender uh, split for uh, computer science has almost flipped in the last a uh, couple of decades, I do remember there was this uh, woman, I, f- I remember her name right, Margaret Hamilton, I believe. She helped Sounds... write the code that sent us to the moon. Yes. And I believe NASA continued to bring her in after she left because they were afraid their computers were wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. she. I mean, I think there's that famous picture. If you don't even know her name, you probably know the picture of her standing next to this massive stack of paper. And that is the code that she wrote because it's it, back then it wasn't type, 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 type. It was writing it out and on all these physical pieces of paper is incredible. But she got us to the moon. She like, really did. She really shout did. Shout out to Margaret Hamilton. Um, <laughs> and shout out to uh, the new movie Hidden Figures that you wonderfully introduced me to, Lily. Uh, it's a movie about all the uh, African-American women who were involved in NASA, who worked at NASA, and again, helped us get to space and beat Russia. <laughs> <laughs> And um, but that movie also shows how, you know, not only were they women in a STEM field, but they were people of color um, back in the 70s. And um, to be a woman of color and even be a woman in STEM back then was a huge deal. And to finally be told this story now is amazing. I had no idea that there were women behind the landing of the moon. And and to finally hear this is amazing. I mean, that title really says it all hidden figures. 
this, we get all the publicity about astronauts who obviously are doing an incredible, amazing, terrifying job, but um, there's so much work behind it, and there's women behind it, and there's women of color behind it. And there was, like, so many snappy lines in the trailer that I really loved, like, um, they always... uh, we can never win. They always move the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just so exemplatory of like the female experience, if not especially the uh, women of color experience. Uh, there's always, you're always just going to have to do more. Mm-hmm. Which, glass ceiling. Glass ceiling. Gotta smash it. Gotta Let's smash it, it with a hammer, with my <laughs> science hammer. But uh, segue. I was like trying to think of like a specific science related item. I couldn't. I failed. Thor's hammer is that? Sci-fi? There you go. Let's let's Close get enough. Mjolnir up in here. <laughs> Mjolnir. I mean, that's another thing. Uh, Jane Foster in oh the yes Thor yes. movies. Who is an astrophysicist? Yeah, and, and she's adorably cute, but like she's pretty serious about science. She's just like, "Oh, hey, there's a god in front of me." But how? How did you? What? But I want to figure this the out. Science? I'm not going to be distracted <laughs> by your ten pack. I'm going to be distracted <laughs> by how is this possible? The and then slightly, generator. slightly yeah. distracted yeah. by your ten pack, but more slightly distracted by science. 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 This was the sci-fi and science mm-hmm. and women in STEM podcast uh the coven podcast that was our topic um i uh want to thank everyone for joining me and especially thank you guys for joining me for the first time this was a fantastic podcast and i hope i'm happy yes (laughs) i had a lot of fun too yay and i hope um that everyone who listened will give uh, a look to some of the trailers that we mentioned and uh some of the articles that uh may or may not be linked in the description um this has been the Coven Podcast. I have been your host, Daily Wilhelm, the Witch of the Wavelengths. Joining me today was the ever-lovely... Uh, Cora Wilson. And the wonderful... Lily Larson. Thank you guys for listening. You can check out all our other podcasts here at ByteBSU.com or on our SoundCloud, Ball State Daily. Uh, follow us on iTunes. And keep learning. Keep sciencing. Keep brewing. Yes, keep, keep brewing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.